Um, I'm going to be jumping around a fair bit, but hopefully as I read, you'll see how it all hangs together. Proverbs 17, verse 17. A brother loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Proverbs 18, verse 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 20, verse 6. Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. Proverbs 25, verses 17 and 20. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Too much of you, and they will hate you. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Proverbs 26, verses 18 to 19. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is a man who deceives his neighbour and says, I was only joking. Proverbs 27, verses 5 to 6, 9, 14 and 17. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbour early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Proverbs 28, verses 23. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favour, rather than one who has a flattering tongue. Proverbs 29, verse 5. Those who flatter their neighbours are spreading nets for their feet. Um, Happy New Year, almost. Not quite yet, but we're not far off. Um, This week, and it's taken nearly the whole week, uh, I've been watching the first episode of Lord of the Rings. It's kind of an old film now. The person I was watching it with said, you can see that CGI, how times have changed. Um, it's called The Fellowship of the Ring, and it struck me as I was watching the extended version of the first episode, the first part of Lord of the Rings. Uh, number one, just how long a film it is when it's the extended version. And the second point that struck me as I was thinking about the book of Proverbs uh, in the last week or so is I think The Lord of the Rings is the only trilogy not centering on the theme of a love relationship. Um, So Tolkien who wrote, J.R.R. Tolkien who wrote The Lord of the Rings, this three-parter that's uh, sold millions of copies of books and been a great help and encouragement and fun to so many people through so many ages. He wrote these uh, masterly tombs and at the end there's a bucket load of appendices as well. And when they came to be transformed from a book into a film, the filmmakers who wanted to muddle and to mess said, this won't quite work if you just focus on the theme of friendship, which is the central theme that glues the three books together. It won't just work like that. We need to move something from the appendices and make it more front and centre in the story. Because we know better than Tolkien. I don't have an opinion on this, you can tell. And they moved the friendship element from being front and centre slightly to the side because they moved the relationship between Aragorn and Eowyn, which was a love relationship in the appendices, and they plonked it into the film. They made it more central because the central theme for the book 
and the film is friendship. These four halflings, these four hobbits that have it put upon themselves, this great responsibility that in their hands and in their little pocket of Frodo, well, there's an item. If you don't know what it is, then you can go and see it and do some research. But one of the things that is undervalued, I believe, in our culture today is the theme I want to talk about from the book of Proverbs, and it's friendship. It's friendship. Proverbs has a lot to say about it. Uh, if you lived in a liberal culture, ours is pretty liberal at the moment, then the individual rules and friendship is negated and romance is promoted. Were you to live in a socialistic society, then it's more about the collaborative and the community. It's not so much about friendship, such as a, a civic duty. If you lived in a traditional culture, maybe in the Far East, it's not so much about friendship, it's more about duty. It's more about your mum and dad, it's more about honouring them, it's about honouring and protecting your family. Depending on the culture you live in depends on your understanding of friendship, what it is. But every culture seems to put friendship on the back burner, on the back seat. Proverbs does not let us do that. Because if we're honest in our society, we know that technology has brought a lot of goodness, but it's also brought a lot of ill. Think for a moment, those of you with grey hair, highlights like mine, you can remember a time before Facebook, it did exist. Facebook is that brilliant device for connecting with people. It is so brilliant, <coughs> excuse me, that I choose not to use it. But you can go on and you can connect with people that you've not seen for years. Now that, on the whole, can be a bad thing. It can also be a great thing. Facebook is brilliant. The downsides of Facebook, surely, you admit with me though, is if you recognise that you are my Facebook friend, it doesn't mean that you're a real friend. I can know about you more than I know you. That's a limitation of Facebook. As good as it is, it has its limitations. Skype, FaceTime, choose your poison on how you look at people over the internet. Uh, it's a brilliant tool for seeing people around God's globe. You can talk to people, but it's not the same as seeing them in front of you. <coughs> Think about tweeting, those uh, bird watchers amongst us. You can tweet 140 characters. I think you're allowed up to 280 now. But you can communicate in so many different ways using the internet, even if you're not into that uh, interweb type thing, or tinternet as it's called in Yorkshire. You can use something called a handwritten letter. A handwritten letter is brilliant, but even that is not as good as seeing someone face to face. But there's a richness to that communication. And many people have observed, and many people have written a lot of letters, and a lot of words, and a lot of books, that simply say this, for all our technological connectedness, we are more alone in our generation than any previous generation. All the facilities are there to connect, but we're connecting in very different ways. We know about people, we don't know them. And so I want us, before we journey into Ecclesiastes in the new year, to look at another part of wisdom literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs as well. And I want us to hear what Proverbs has to say on a theme, on a theme of nuggets and a theme of gems that Emily read so clearly, because I want us to think about the topic of friendship as we enter a new year, because friendship is vital. Here are three things. What is a friend? <coughs> what is a friend? I need to hear that because I haven't got many. What is a friend? Why are they needed? And then thirdly, why is it worth investing in? What's a friend? What's a friend? Here are some verses to look at. Hopefully they come up. Many claim to have unfailing love, 
but a faithful person who can find. Proverbs 26. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. 1717. Proverbs is a remarkable book that is often neglected. You skip over it and get to the New Testament. But can I encourage you to read it? You need to meditate it, meditate on it. You need to treat it like boiled sweets. You need to take one like a lozenge and think what it means and take it into your very person. What do these sentences teach us? They teach us about the reality of life for those people who knows what it is to have friends, whether it's a few or many. A friend, these verses tell us, a friend, a faithful friend, is someone who is not indifferent. A faithful friend is someone who loves at all times. And a faithful man, faithful person who can find. Think about the difference between <coughs> friendships and blood relatives. A brother, a blood brother or sister, well, they're stuck with you. You can't get rid of them very easily. They are joined to you because they share the same blood cells and DNA as you. When times are hard, you expect them to bail you out in a different way than a friend would. There is an obligation, there is a safety net, emotionally, physically, financially, because that's what family does. Got it? Are you looking for him to pay for the wedding? Okay, maybe they're not that close. But here's the difference between a family member and a friend. A friend chooses you. A friend chooses you. They're not blood. A friend chooses you. When someone loves you at all times, good or bad, where they don't have to, that person is a true friend. The person you can call up and cry on the phone to. The person you can communicate with and say, I need to see you. The person who gets you when you don't have to say any words. That person is a true friend. And they are very, very hard to find. A true friend is dependable. They do not just know about you, they know you. They get you. They get your foibles, but they don't tolerate all of them. They challenge them as well. A friend is dependable in a different way than a blood brother or sister or even a mum or dad. It's acceptance, it's forgiveness, it's understanding, but a real ability to challenge is iron sharpens iron, as we'll read shortly. They know who you are, they know what you've done, and they don't walk away from you. That's a true friend, a faithful person who can find, someone who loves at all times, someone who's there for times of trouble, someone who won't desert you. This is brought home to us yesterday. Yesterday, some friends came, as they do at Christmas time, that they come around and they have mince pies and all the rest of it. And during the conversation, we're asking how they were getting on, uh, one of them cried. They began to cry because they have been praying that God would give them friends and they haven't got any true and real friends who get them, who understand them. They're Christians. They go to a different church and they were saying, I long for friends. It's immensely sad. Let's pray that God will provide friends for them in, in the years to come or months to come. It also jogged my mind when there was someone else on the sofa. Not everybody who comes to our house cries, but they were crying too <laughs> on this issue of friendship again because they're saying, I know people in the church that I'm a part of, but I know them very superficially. I don't know them truly. I don't know, not their deepest, darkest secrets. I don't know them, and I want more than just knowing about people. I want someone with whom I can share my heart. I want someone 
whom I can walk through hard times and happy times with. I want someone whom I can laugh and cry with. I want a faithful friend. I want more than just the transitory relationships I have right now. She said, I want to be known. I want to be known. That's a very helpful biblical understanding of what friendship means. Someone who wants to be known. That's one theme, a faithful friend who can find. It's a longing in our heart, and it's an appropriate longing. But here's another reality to friendship, a good friend. A friend is someone who can wound you. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Friends can speak to you like a surgeon deals with you, harming you so that they might heal. Someone who just doesn't say you've got too much mascara on, that's for the ladies. Someone who doesn't just say you've got broccoli in your teeth, that's for the men. Someone who can come to you when you've behaved inappropriately or poorly and knows that they can speak to you in a way that they can present you with gospel truth for your good and they know where you're coming from. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So there is acceptance in friendship. They just get me. They understand me. But then there's a limited understanding of friendship if that's all there is. And that's why we look at Proverbs as a whole. Proverbs also says there is acceptance, but there's also challenge. A faithful friend is someone who can accept you, but someone also who doesn't just multiply kisses. Proverbs 27.6 Someone who has in their heart a deep love and passion for you, that is confrontational because it's carefrontational. They confront you with the truth. They show you the truth that's not theirs. They show you the truth that's from the gospel, that's from the Bible. It's acceptance, but hard words can be said and hard words can be heard. Very, very important. The discipline of giving a compliment, the discipline of promoting and giving a challenge, without giving or taking offence. It's very hard to do. Having a Christian friend beside you who knows the gospel and who shows you the gospel, they are to be greatly, greatly valued. And they are hard to find. But isn't that what each one of us wants? A friend who doesn't just, doesn't just give us kisses, doesn't flatter us with what we want to hear, but someone who has a deep concern that we would grow to be more like Jesus. And so promotes good stuff, gives us good resources, gives us good and helpful texts, challenges us as much as they affirm us. And so the, the writer says it's just like sharpening a sword. They want to sharpen you so that you're useful and effective as God's workmanship in God's world. That's what the heart of friendship should be about. Comfort and challenge. Some of you, I hope not, but some of you may be thinking, but hey, I, I don't think I need friends. I think I'm okay, especially the guys. I don't think I need friends. I'm doing okay. Friendships, well, that's a bit, it's a bit more like it's a girly thing. Men, if you're thinking that, you're wrong. It's also an appropriate way to talk. Proverbs is saying friendship is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. Someone who understands a need for friendship doesn't mean they're weak. It means they're strong. It doesn't mean that they're young. It means that they're mature. It's a sign of maturity and health. That's what a friend is, someone who gets you, someone who understands you, someone who affirms you, someone who challenges you, someone who wants to sharpen you so that you become more like Jesus. But why are they needed? 
Why are they needed? This is so important to see. Friendship is spoken about in the first book of the Bible very clearly. But when is it spoken about? This is vital to see for understanding of the book of Proverbs and this theme as a whole. When God spoke the world into being, and it was perfect, there's a repeated phrase in the opening pages of the Bible when God says, and he saw it was good, and he saw it was good, and he saw it was good. It's not filler there, because Moses didn't know what to write. It's a statement of God's evaluation of all that he's made. But there was one thing that was not good. There was one thing that was not good. Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. What is the one aspect of God's creation that he is not content with at that point? It's that Adam is lonely. It's that Adam needs a friend, a helpmate, a comforter, someone that will work with him on God's creation project. He was lonely, but not because he was imperfect. God made all that he made was perfect. But there's one thing that he was not content with, and that was Adam was alone. And so he made the most beautiful, perfect, fit friend that anyone could ever have. Every other ache that we have in our consciences is as a result of sin, apart from friendship. The ache for security, the ache for to be, to be safe, the ache, all the other aches we have for approval, they're all there as a result of our rebellion against God, our turning away, apart from this one. God saw that his world was good, but one thing, Genesis 2.18, it's, it's not good for man to be alone. So friendship is not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of immaturity. It's a sign of strength. It's a sign of God's provision for us. Because without friends, the way you interact with the world will be far, far poorer. What do I mean? I just wanted to share this photo, but I also wanted to tell you a story. Hoping that American police don't liaise with Met police officers, I'll tell you this story in confidence. There was once a time when we were journeying at quite a fast rate through the Mojave Desert. Um, I'm glad I wasn't caught uh, and my conscience has now been cleansed due to confession. But I was longing to get through to see one of the sites that was on my bucket list before I knew that idea existed, it was the Grand Canyon with the sun going down on it, and we were not going to make it. We had, Joe and I, a marital moment, let the reader understand, because we had been to Bryce Canyon and Zion Canyon, and it was only two inches on the map from place A to point B, which was the Grand Canyon. But two inches in American standard, when there's a massive great river that runs at the bottom of a beautiful canyon between us, it takes quite a while to get around and a lot of fuel. So there I was bombing it around and I screeched literally as we arrived at the southern rim of the Grand Canyon as the sun was going down. And Joe said, you can go. We had some kids in the back and I ran. As people were coming away from the southern rim, I was the only one going towards it. And I kid you not, I stood and the hairs on my neck, if you've been there, you understand. It is such an amazing part of God's created world that the hairs on my head stood up. And just like when you see something awful and amazing, people were silent. People don't talk when they go to the Grand Canyon. It's very interesting. They stand in amazement at what God has made. 
and it was incredible. And I thank Joe for letting me see it. We saw it together the next day, lest you think I'm an awful tyrant <laughs> of some sort. But you know what was lacking? I had no one to share it with. The only thing that was missing for that moment is the ability for me to turn to someone and say, did you see that? Can you see that detail there? Can you see what God's done there? Can you see the beauty there? Can you see the way the shadow? I had no one to share it with. Everyone else was there in groups. I was there by myself. Why? And what does that teach us? It is not good for man to be alone. There's something unique about shared experiences, whether you're with a group of friends where you can enjoy it, whether you've got a spouse, whether you've got a relative, and you say, did you see the way that so-and-so did that as they flipped off at the Olympics? Do you see the way that ski jumper took off and crashed? Did you see? No matter what it is, experiences are there to be shared and enjoyed. C.S. Lewis uh, reflects on this in one of his uh, books, and he says, the essence of friendship is kneeling before someone greater and saying that you love the same truth. It's part of a longer quote when Lewis is saying, anyone who says, I long for friendship, and you go to a pub, you go to a coffee shop, you go to a church, and if you say to them, will you be my friend? I'm just looking for friendship, and I don't really care who it's with, I just want a friend. It's the one thing that you'll miss out on. Lewis puts his finger on something that the Genesis 2.18 points us to, and says the only way for friendship to be created is as a byproduct of two people worshipping, enjoying the Grand Canyon, a football match, um, Formula One racing, Christmas cake, whatever it may be. Friendship is a byproduct of something else. That's what Lewis explains so helpfully. He says it doesn't matter if it's dominoes or white mice in his book. Friendship comes as a byproduct. We understood this, Joe and I for the first time, perhaps, when we went to Bible College. At Bible College, we were there with a group of people from around the world, people that were younger and older than us, people with different colours of skin from us, people with different experiences to us, people with different life stages to us, people who had different theological convictions to us. And yet, in God's great kindness, as outsiders, we went and we've made friendships that have lasted for 10 years, and we pray will last into the future as well. But it came, do you see, as a byproduct of something else. We were worshipping, we were learning, we were growing in our understanding of who God is as we studied the Bible together. And we were kneeling before someone, not something greater. That's why friendships were forged, that's why they've grown, and that's why they're lasting through Skype and FaceTime. We can contact friends in China, in uh, Mississippi, in Carolina, in Manchester. All because Lewis is right. True friendship comes from kneeling before something, or rather someone, greater. So we can share and cry our ministry journey together. But friends, if we get this, and it's not just approval and acceptance, it's about comforting and challenge as well, that means at church, in 2018, as we journey forward together, there is a greater potential for deeper and lasting friendships in this small gathering of people this morning than there is in anywhere else. Because we're worshipping the same Lord. It's not so much about how much money you've got in your back pocket. It's not so much whether you wear crew or white stuff. It's not so much which school you attended. It's not so much what age or stage of life you're at. In the church, you have a great variety of people 
but all of whom are worshipping the same Lord. And so the potential, not just for shallow friendships where you know about each other, the potential in life groups and through other means for knowing people deeply is far greater than anywhere else. It's that moment when you become a Christian, you discover you've got a bond with the person that's got grey hair and you haven't. With the person that's just got baptised and you've got lots of grey hair and they're a baby Christian, you can befriend them in a unique way that you cannot anywhere else in the world. Because the gospel, the gospel is no friend to social status, it dissolves it. It's no friend to race, it gets rid of it. Or it should do. And that's why the gospel can bind together in deep, lasting friendships, people that in any other stage of life would not normally meet. So let's be practical. Two quick points before we get to the final point. Friends, if you've got at the end of this year, if you can look back and you can think of someone in your life who is a deep friend, who's been a great friend to you this year, in this Proverbs way, please will you, I would say even before the year is out, but we're getting close, why not, in the next week, thank God for them and pick up the phone or communicate in a myriad of ways and just say, I'm thankful to God for you. This is how you have sharpened me in the year that has gone by. Let's pray that we can continue doing it in the year to come. If that's you, thank God for him's provision of a friend. But if you don't know something of this, someone to sharpen you, someone to be a comfort and support mate to you, why don't you pray to God today that in the next months God will provide a friend for you? Someone who can be this good friend, a deep, rich friend for you. Because friendships are worth investing in. Why? Because friendship lasts. Things uh, like Christmas presents don't last so long. The batteries wear out. You've got to get some more. I'm sure they're built that way. It's a big conspiracy in my mind. But think about this. Friendships are worth investing in in the year to come. Why? Because they last. If you've got a secular understanding of the world, they're not worth investing in because death is the end. If you follow Eastern religions, friendships are not worth investing in because you just get reincarnated in a different form. So there's no point investing in them. Just think about yourself. But Christianity teaches, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves, that death is not the end. Friendships last. Someone I read this week has said these words, a friend should always let you in and never let you down. Now that's a high aspiration and that's almost impossible to achieve. It's pretty hard, isn't it, to be transparent, to really open up to people, to really let someone in, to be vulnerable to people because if you're like me, you're afraid of getting hurt. It's hard and so we're afraid of being transparent to people. So where's the power to be a friend like that? Where's the power we need to be friends or to be better friends with our friends that we already have? I believe the power is found in John 15 to 17. In John 15 to 17, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It's the night before he's about to go to the cross for the sins of the world. And he's explaining to them in the most clear way possible, in the most perfect way possible, his whole mission to the world and what's about to happen. He's opening himself up in the most vulnerable way. He's pouring, he's emptying himself and his heart out. And he's explaining to them what's about to happen. And he says in John 15 these words, Tonight, 
I no longer call you servants. A servant does not know his master's business. But tonight I call you friends. Now love one another as I love you. I'm laying down my life for my friends. When Jesus Christ said those words, the whole of history was changing. Just on the eve of the cross. Think of it like this. The Christian understanding of what the Bible teaches us about the true eye nature of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit dwell repletedly in one another, fully God as we thought on Christmas Day. And they've been enjoying a perfect relationship before the world was even made. And here is Jesus saying the cross is going to do something so that you'll no longer be a servant to me, but you can be a friend of God. I'm going to make and enable that to happen. You're going to know me in a unique way. You're going to know God in a unique way. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to dwell amongst you. I will have to leave you to go back to my Father, but I will dwell in you in a unique way by my Spirit. Therefore, Jesus is saying, I've made you in my image, and that means just like I've enjoyed friendship, you will need friendship too. You know, back in Genesis 3, and God speaking and walking in the cool of the day to Adam and Eve, the Hebrew word, the Hebrew metaphor for, for walking is actually... It's a metaphor for friendship. In other words, God was uh, sharing friendship with Adam and Eve before the fall. And then after the fall, there's a rendering of it. But God has made us for friendship. Friendship with one another and a unique relationship with him. But because of the fall, we've turned our back on him. When we said, no, we don't want to live under your loving rule. And so Jesus says, I'm the ultimate friend who's born for adversity. I'm the ultimate friend who's going to cleave to you, to join myself to you at infinite cost so that you're not going to be ruined. I'm the ultimate friend whose wounds that I will cause, well, they're the wounds of love because instead of inflicting them, I'm going to have them inflicted on me. That's what the cross teaches us. Remember, you may remember Proverbs 27, blessed are the wounds of a friend. If that is true, and it is, how much more blessed are they when they're not inflicted, but when they're received? Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Think of Gethsemane. Think of Gethsemane, all of Jesus' best friends, his band of brothers, they're all falling asleep on him, they're denying him, they're betraying him. They turn their back on him and the father comes and says, you are going to have to go to hell. You are going to have to go to the cross if you're not going to lose your friends. And what does Jesus say? I will go to the cross, not my will, but yours. So I'll go to hell for them. I'll be ripped apart for them. Greater love has no one than this. Then I'll lay down my life for those who've let me down, for those that have turned their back on me. Friends, there is a friend, says Proverbs, says the gospel, who sticks closer than a brother, and his name is Jesus. There is a friend who's gone to hell so that we won't be ruined, and his name is Jesus. And if you know that, that liberates you from the burden of being the best friend, because you never will be. You'll always let your friend down. But it liberates you from that because there is a friend who will never let you down, and his name is Jesus. You don't place all your eggs in the human basket. 
Jesus is the greatest friend we can have. Jesus died to draw us in to the safest bond, to the most satisfying relationship you can ever know. And that's because it's the most costly friendship the world will ever know because it's sealed with his own blood. Friends, as we go into 2018, wouldn't it be wonderful if there is an increasing depth to our relationships that non-Christians come in and see, what have you got? How come you cry for one another? How come you rejoice with one another? How come you share one another's burdens? Wouldn't it be great if we were known for that a little bit more? Wouldn't it be wonderful if there's a thankfulness, those of us that know deep friendships that Proverbs is describing? Jesus died to draw us in not just into friendship, but to reconcile us to his Father. Let's pray together. Father, when our friends know so little of what friendship is, help us to model what it means to be a really good friend. Recognising that there are so much mixed motives in our own heart, that our resources are limited, that we'll make mistakes, that we'll say things that will hurt and wound We're selfish, but we thank you that when we look at Jesus, we see one who sticks closer than a brother. We see one who has bought us at the ultimate cost. That hasn't just inflicted wounds, but they've been inflicted on him. Help us to never, never forget that, but help us to be thankful for the friends that we have. Help us to not settle with just being affirming of one another, but help us to be able to challenge one another so that we become more like Jesus. We wouldn't just grow numerically as a church, but we'd be more mature. Our relationships with you would be deeper in the year to come than they have been in 2017. But as we look back on 2017, we thank you that so many of us know deep and lasting friendships, and that's been a great encouragement to us in the year that's passed. And we give you all the glory and thanks for that. Amen.